A date which will live in infamy. Both of those projects, initiatives, got off the ground because of the Gare out of the 24 who were killed were Americans who had come to learn in Kevin. I say one million Jewish children who were made to be cut in Whoever heard such beautiful words, It is never too little, it is never too late, and it is never enough. Jewish History Soundbites, bringing alive the world of our glorious past. Here is our host, live from Jerusalem, Jewish historian and tour guide, Yehuda Geberer. Everyone, two Jewish history soundbites. This is a, another episode. Yehuda Geberer. Um, this is another episode of Jewish history soundbites, and I'm going to discuss today a little bit some of the um, in the early period of Yeshiva University, as it was called then, Rietz, um Yeshiva College, eventually, and then Yeshiva University. Uh, Rabbi Yisakachanan. So, I want to start off with a story. Um, a colleague of mine, older older fellow, who was in the Ner Yisrael Yeshiva in the early 1980s, he related to me that one day, in the middle of the winter, the famous Dr. Joe Kamenetsky, the head of Tyre Masaira, a very uh, important lay leader in the American scene, during the second half of the 20th century, who's quite a quite a personality, an accomplished person, and definitely a lot to talk about in his own right. But he came into the dining room. He had been in Baltimore and Mary Stroll for some reason. And he announces to the students of the yeshiva, who were, I guess, eating lunch or something, and he says to them, today, I want my friends, I want to tell you, Today is Bay's Kislev, and it is the yard site of two people who did so much, or maybe more than anyone else, to build Tyra in the United States of America. Rabbi Aaron Cutler and Rabbi Dr. Dove Bernard Revel. And he said, I want you guys to remember that. So the person relating me the story, who was a student in Neri Yisrael at the time, and had heard this from Dr. Joe Kamenetsky, he said, you know, it struck them, they're in Neri Yisrael, meaning they're somewhere in between those two places that these two great people headed. Um, you know, obviously, Varen Cutler was the Rosh Yeshiva of Lakewood, and and Rev Revel was in, basically, the founder of Yeshiva College. He became the head of Rabbeinus Kachan, and he created Yeshiva College. Um, so he, it's in, they're in Yisrael, and he's telling them that these two people um, did more between the two of them, or did much between the two of them to 
build and create a Torah world in in America. So it, it left a big impression that there's something to examine here um, about about the story of the of the early years of Yeshiva University before it was Yeshiva University, and really. Be honest that the history of Yeshiva University or Benisikal Khanan is something that I kind of was nervous about from when I started this this uh, podcast, the Jewish History Soundbites, because it's a topic that's so vast. It's such a huge topic. I mean, just the founding of the Yeshiva could be an entire series about how in 1886 it's America's first Yeshiva. It's called Eitzchayim. And it started in the Mariam Puller Shul on the Lower East Side, really like a shtibel on the Lower East Side of Manhattan. And it eventually morphs into Rabbi Yisrael Hanan. It's named after the great Kovner Rav by the group of Balabatim who were in charge of the yeshiva right after he dies in 1896, 1897. And it, it, it kind of combines with another institution. It's not for a topic now. And this is the first yeshiva. The original name was Eitz Chaim. You know, you think about that. Uh, there's you know, how many yeshivas around the world throughout history have been named Eitz Chaim. I could give a whole, you know, talk about that. Eitz Chaim was the name of the Valajin yeshiva. Eitz Chaim was the name of um, of uh, of the yeshiva in Yerushalayim that Rishmul Salan started in the 1840s. Eitz Chaim was a yeshiva in in Belgium, it was there were certain Sephardic yeshivas that were called Eitz Chaim. Uh, Zalman Sender Kahana Shapiro's yeshiva in Malch was called Eitz Chaim, was named after Valajan. So this is another Eitz Chaim, right? So there's that's, and then it becomes what it becomes in the beginning of the twentieth century, and in the story of the institution is such a vast and massive story throughout the years and how it develops and eventually Shiva College and eventually Shiva University and the different people that went through it. It's something that really is, is almost a never-ending topic. And uh, so for me to start it, I was always trying to kind of a, like not avoid it, but push it off because it's, it's, it's just too, it's too big of a topic. But I figured I have to start at some point so today we'll just do a small slice of that. We're not going to talk about the founding of the yeshiva. We're not going to even talk about the yeshiva itself, the institution, the moisid. We're actually going to just talk a little bit about some of the great personalities. There's probably no other yeshiva, maybe in history, that had so many great Torah leaders at different times. They didn't overlap, obviously who taught in this institution. It's an amazing lineup, an amazing uh, amount of people, some who are more famous, some who are less famous. And again, to get to all of them also would have to be an entire series. I'm just going to touch on two or three or four of them today. And and here's another disclaimer. Some of them, you can't bunch them into one little podcast. You can't talk about the Maitreta Ilui on a list of other people. Shleimah Polyachik, he has to be a story in itself. If we want to talk about the Soloveitchiks who are there, both Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik and his son, the Rav, Rabbi Yashuber Soloveitchik, he, he, can't, he can't just put it on a list of Rabbeim and mention them for a few minutes. They have to be a topic in themse- on themselves, and a series on themselves, the Soloveitchiks. 
in general are fascinating people and stories. They have to be examined separately. Even Rav Revel. You can't talk about Yeshiva University without a little bit talking about Rav Revel, but really he deserves his own uh, his own topic. But I'll start with him, just a drop, just a touch, taste. Um, of course, with Rav Revel, there, there's, uh, there's a great book about him, so you don't really need to hear from me. Uh, Rabbi Rakefet um, wrote a great book about Rabbi Dr. Bernard Revel. And, uh, you know, he grew up in Kovna, Revel, and learned for a short period of time in Tells. He was there actually during the famous revolt of Tells. But he was there for a, a very short period of time. He was a brilliant young man. And his energies were vast and his curiosities were vast. He was a bit, he had a bit of a Haskalah bent to him, which was pretty common for boys and tells and Kovna at the time. And he, you know, he was well read. He was curious. He, he, uh, wanted to know about the world. And already as a young man, he immigrates to the United States. He gets either the first or one of the first, I don't remember, doctorates from Dropsy College. And he, so he's now his rabbi doctor. He had smicha already before that. And he gets married into a very prestigious American family. They're actually a chassidish family, Chabad chassidim in Oklahoma. They're in the oil business, which in Oklahoma was almost like a given in those days. Very big in the oil industry. I, as, a, as far as I know until today, the Capitol building in Oklahoma has an oil drill on its front yard, meaning it's a very, the state industry, the state business is definitely petroleum, oil, and the Travises, which was the name of the family, were very big and had a very successful business, either as a refinery or, I don't remember exactly what the business was. And so he's brilliant. Again, he's like borderline, like a, a genius and a very, org, uh, you know, very energetic, a very good organizer. And he's brought in by the heads of, of Rabbeinu Yitzhak al-Khanan, the yeshiva, to, to reorganize it. They had been going through a rough time, both financially and the, the structure of the place. It needed a new breath of fresh air from a young, talented individual like, like Rav Revel, and he expands the yeshiva, he takes it out of what it originally is to be a small, sort of neglected institution, and he builds it up, and he decides to add the college component to it, that's in 1923, he not only adds it, he makes it a yeshiva college, he combines the two, he makes it a real liberal arts college. In other words, not just college studies to get a degree, not just college studies to be able to find a good job, to break into the work market, but an actual liberal arts college as an ideal to have liberal arts. He gets support for his decision. He's an active member of the Agudas Rabbonim at that time, and they support him. Now this support, because they support kind of saw it as their baby. They saw the yeshiva as their baby. They saw themselves as personally responsible for it. They oversaw the hirings of the yeshiva in the early years. There's the board of directors, there's the rush yeshiva, and then there's the Agudas Rabbanim, which are really an outside, not 
not directly related to the yeshiva, but they somehow, because it was the original yeshiva, and they really helped it along in its early years, and they helped it financially, and they helped uh, generate support for it. So the Agudas Rabbanim felt that they had a very strong say in what went on in the yeshiva, and therefore there was, you know, it fluctuated with time, the support or the suspicion of the Agudas Rabbanim have of what Revel's plans and ideals, ideas and vision were for the yeshiva, and it had its ups and downs. There was controversial times, but how, what, what is he trying to bring into the yeshiva? What is this liberal, liberal arts college? What is yeshiva college altogether? In a, it, it, it went through different stages. Now everything falls on his shoulders, especially the financial burden of the yeshiva. A lot of stress from it. He also had to help out very often in the family business, his wife's family business back in Oklahoma. He was back and forth a lot. He got sick. Um, he eventually died quite young. He was 55. It was very unfortunate. But he led the yeshiva through its early years. In one of his last acts, in his last couple of years of his life, he did. He saved. Uh, he saved many of the rabbis who were stuck in Europe, and he was able to give them visas above the quota system. If a rabbi was being invited as a as a clergy uh, to serve in a rabbinical position in America, so they. Then that was like a, a waiver on the quota systems. He was able to bring in several great rabbanim. Yermaisha Shatskis, who we'll try to get to in a couple of minutes. Rabbi Yosef Breuer, from, from, uh, originally from Frankfurt. At that time he was already in Italy. Rabbi Mendel Zaks, who also became rabbi in the yeshiva, and a few others. Um, so he dies in 1940. See, he preserves, I'm sorry, through those visas, he's able to preserve the entire world of America, even beyond his death. That's also, I believe, uh, is important to emphasize that it's to his credit. Um, he dies the same year as Ramesha Soloveitchik. Uh, they die within a few months of each other, so it's really a shift in the yeshiva's history, because the great Rosh Hashiva Ramesha Soloveitchik and the great leader of the yeshiva, builder of the yeshiva, Rabbi Bernard Revel, they both die around the same time. But what I want to do is go back in history, to the first uh, Rosh Hashiva of Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan, before he was even called Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan. Um, he was the first Rosh Hashiva, to the best of my knowledge, a fellow by the name of Rabbi Shleiman Nussin Cutler. Now, if you'd ask anyone um, if there was someone named Cutler who was a great Rosh Hashiva in America, in the early years of Torah in America, so many people would say, oh, sure, yeah. And you tell that person, and this cutler was associated with Slabatka as well, then they'd say, sure, yeah, yeah, of course we know. And then you tell them, yeah, and I'm talking about Rabbi Shleiman Nassim Cutler. And they're like, what? what? No, no, you got mixed up. I'm talking about Rabbi Aaron Cutler, who learned in Slabatka and started Lakewood Yeshiva, prominent yeshiva in America. Well, actually, we're talking about a different person in a different century. Rabbi Shleiman Nassim Cutler, as, as far as I know, they're not even related. He was... Um, He's described in some sources as possibly the greatest Talmud Chacham to have ever lived in America, which is a really big statement to make. Um, he eventually moved to Eretz Yisrael. When I bring groups around um, Har Hazesim, which is a great tour, by the way, if you're ever in Eretz Yisrael next time, Kibri Tzadikim's tour, it's a travel through history. It's fascinating. It's a lot of fun. So, you know, we go to Rav Shleiman Nassim Cutler's cover, 
and it's not buried in a very obscure area. It's one of the central parts of Arzaisim. He's buried next to Rav Shleima Elyashev, the Leshem Shavayva Achloma, the great Kabbalist. He's buried behind the altar of Slabatka, right there in, in like prime real estate area overlooking Harabayas. He's He was huge. Um, he had a very colorful career. He was also the father-in-law of Rabbi Yaakov Meishacharlap, who was the Rabbi Yerushalayim. It's not clear when he was born. I saw some sources say 1855 and others say 1865. To make things even more complicated, some sources say he studied under a blazer Gordon and Tells, and others say when he was a rabbi of a town in Lithuania near Tells, Sir Blazer Gordon would send the students of Tells who wanted smicha to him to give smicha. So what was his relationship with Sir Blazer Gordon? Well, it also depends on what year he was born. If he was born in 1855, then I'm ready to sign off that he did not learn under Blazer Gordon and Tells, because that means he would have come to Tells when he was 26. Well, what's wrong with coming to Tells when you're 26? One little problem when he was 20 years old, he was already a Rebbe in the Lamji Yeshiva. Okay, so he definitely did not study under a Blazer Gordon if he was born in 1855. To make things even more complicated is that he's the only person, he has an amazing distinction, is that he was the rabbi, I'm sorry, he was the first Rosh Yeshiva, like I said, of what was originally, before it was Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan, or what eventually become Rabbi Yitzchak Hanan, he was the first Rosh Yeshiva, and he was also the first Rosh Hashiva of Slabatka, someone who was the first Rosh Hashiva of two very famous yeshivas, the first Rosh Hashiva of Slabatka and the first Rosh Hashiva of Rabbi Yitzchakhan, what eventually became YU. So, if he was the first Rosh Hashiva of Slabatka, then he most definitely was not born in 1865. All right? Slabatka was, it's not clear exactly what year, but it was definitely around the year 1881. And uh, if he was born in 1865, he would be 16, probably not the first Rosh Hashiva. So we have some conflicting, uh, you know, uh, um, accounts here, but he was probably born in 1855. He was the first Rosh Hashiva in Slobodka. Eventually he was a rabbi in several towns in, in Lithuania, in Uzvant, which is actually the town that Rabbi Rucham Lovavitz was later to live in, so famous in that respect as well. He goes to America as the assistant of Rabbeinu Yaakov Yosef, who's later famous RJJ, is named after him, the first and only sort of quasi-chief rabbi, not really chief rabbi, the Rav HaKailu, they called him, of, of a large amount of communities in New York City. So he's his assistant, um, and in that capacity, he was also the first Rosh Hashiva in what eventually became YU. He had actually smicha from Rabbi from Yitzchak when Rabbi Yitzchak was still the Rav in Kavna. He, America doesn't work out for him, so after a few years he goes back to Lithuania. He's a Rav there in a few more towns. And eventually he makes it back to America after World War I, and he gets stuck there in Detroit. His wife gets sick, so he lives in Detroit for seven or eight years. He's back and forth. And he wants to move to Eretz Yisrael, but on his way back to Eretz Yisrael, he goes back to Lithuania for another year, and he finally makes it to Eretz Yisrael, where he lives out his later years. Another Rosh Yeshiva that I want to speak about, of one of the early Rebbeim of Yeshiva University, and this is already when it is Yeshiva University, eventually he's actually on the, on the border. He starts off when it's Yeshiva College, and, and he, uh, when he dies, it's already Yeshiva University, and that is a fascinating personality, Rabbi Shashatskis.
the Lamzerav, who's an amazing person, um, very, very fascinating career, very beloved individual. He was one of the heads of the Varhi Yeshivas in Poland before the war, really one of the right-hand men, one of the close members of Reb Chaim inner circle. Very, very close with Reb Chaim Meizer. Reb Chaim Meizer trusted him with everything. Um, he, in his later years, was a Rashiva. He got a visa from Rav Revel, like I mentioned earlier, and he was a Rashiva in, in Yeshiva University. He actually turned down, he was a Rav his whole life, right? He wasn't a Rosh Yeshiva, a very short period of time. He was Rashiva of the Grudna Yeshiva for less than a year after Shimon Shkup had passed away when the Yeshiva had uh, transferred to Vilna. Chaim Eiser asked him to take it over. But he was one of the heads of the Vada Yeshivas, but he never held really official capacities in the Yeshiva. He was a Rav. He was a community rabbi. And Ivya, and later in Lamja, he's known as the Lamja Rav. He was, became famous. Lamja is also a large town. Um, but in his later years, he was the Rashiva in Yeshiva University, in Rabbi Nisikal Khanan, and he and he's the he gives the smicha along with uh, with Rabbi Doctor Samuel Belkin, who's also an interesting personality. Talmud Chavetz Chaim went to the Mir also, also a, a, a genius, and he was the dean of the university and the head of the yeshiva for uh, many years. And with Rav Salvechik, of course, so the three of them: Rav Belkin, Rav Salvechik, and Rav Shatskis were the ones who gave the smicha in the 1940s and 50s to all the graduates of YU Smicha. Ramesh Shatskis was, like I said, a community rabbi, and he grows up in a very, in the Lithuanian aristocracy, a very rabbinic family, not only that, but his father died when he was a very young child, and his mother remarries to Reb Itzel Blazer, Reb Itzel Petterberger, one of the closest students of Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, a great Baal Musser, the one who spread the Musser movement, Rabbi Tzalablazer was famous for, he was previously the rabbi in St. Petersburg, when he came back to Kovna and he took over the Beis HaMusser of his Rebbe, Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, he worked on spreading the Musser movement, he was affiliated with the Slabotki Yeshiva, he's the stepfather of Rabbi Shashatskis, so he's talking about he grew up in a home, and his, you know, Rashatskis is, Biological father died when he was three years old. So Rebetzalah Blazer was really like his father. So Rebetzalah is very close with the Chavetz Chaim, with Rebetzalah Moiser. He's one of the heads of the Agudas Rabbanim of Poland in the interwar period. He's one of the heads of the Vada Yeshivas, very charismatic speaker, very beloved leader. He flees at the beginning of the war from the Russians, from the Soviets, who take over eastern Poland, where Lamja is. It's not far from Bialystok in the east, east part of Poland. And he comes to Vilna, where, where Chaim Eiser is, right? And that's also where he was born. Um, he gets a Sugihara visa and ends up in Kobe, Japan, where he's the representative of the refugees, along with the Amshanava Rebbe. He and the Amshanava Rebbe are the representatives of the refugee community to the Japanese government, right? So he represents, together with the Amshanava Rebbe, all the needs, the, both the physical needs and extending their visa stay, and he's taking care of also the the yeshiva guys who were there, like the Mir and others, again, he's in a leadership position wherever he goes. He makes it to America. He doesn't go to Shanghai. Now, an interesting, a, a somewhat personal story is my wife's grandfather, who was with the Mir in Shanghai, but he traversed Russia alone. He was not with the Mir. He joined up with the Mir in Shanghai. He was actually a Kletzker, Talmud of Rabbi and Cutler. 
and he ends up in Vlavidovostok um, at the the eastern end of Russia before he made it to Shanghai. And he's there, he's stuck there for Pesach. He did not get his visa in time, and he's stuck there, he can't leave. And he said, he told me, he told me this, he died a couple of years ago, but he told me um, that he was there all alone. And uh, he, he, I said, what would you do for Pesach? He said, the Lomjerov, Ramesha Shaskis was there, and I decided to connect to him, and, uh, and, uh, and, and I'll spend Pesach with him. And he spent Pesach in Velvetovasak with the Ramesha Shatskis. He, he had such warm memories of Ramesha Shatskis and how welcoming he was, and how he took care of the refugees, and how he personally took care of him. He said Ramesha Shatskis, being that he was connected to everyone in the world, he was able to get matzahs delivered to him in Vlavidovostok for Pesach, and he was the only one of the refugees there who had matzahs. And he shared, he invited everyone to partake in his box of machine matzahs. He said, everyone divided up these matzahs. We had one kezayas for every person there for the night of Pesach, and that was it. The rest of Pesach, we had potatoes and stuff like that. We did not have any other matzahs. We all had a kezayas of Ramesh Shatskis' matzahs. That was his... Uh, his Pesach with the future Rosh Hashiva of Wayu and the previous Lamja Rav in the interim period in Vlavid Vastak. So this is a little taste of the early Rebbeim of Wayu, Yeshiva University, Rebbein Yitzchak This was Yehudi Gabriel with Jewish History Soundbites. You can reach me at ygebss at gmail.com for questions, comments, sources, and trips and tours throughout Jewish history. Subscribe to Jewish History Soundbites on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher. Don't miss an episode. Follow us on Twitter at JSoundbites. And I hope you enjoyed.